0: Well, without further ado, can we give a really warm welcome to Simon as he comes to speak. Yeah, great. (laughs) Thanks, guys. Thank you, thank you. Great to be with you. Very good. Thank you. It's great to be with you. Uh, It's great to give thanks, isn't it, as we start this year. Um, So good. And uh, this is normally the time in the year where we talk about what we're going to do as a family together, as a community together. Um, And uh, it's a little bit of a problem because... So much now of what we do comes out of you guys. You know, it's just happening. You're doing it. There's missional communities, life group, kids stuff, youth stuff. It, it just happens, and if I blink, I, I miss whole events because it just happens, and people pull them off and do things, and it's just really, really exciting. I'm not totally sure what I'm is left for me, um, but, but. The other thing is, you know, I, I was coming back from, just to illustrate, I came back from being away for three months. I've been sick for a, for a long period. Thank you for praying for me. I'm doing much, much better. Thank you, which is great news. And I'm holding, I'm about 90%, I think, and it's good. Yeah, you can thank God for that. Lots of you have prayed for that. Thank you. Um, I'm still, still waiting a CT scan just to do a final check, but I, overall, I think, I'm, I think I'm through. Lord. Um, so yeah so I came back thinking we've got to do something for refugees I've been sat at home for three months thinking we've got to do something for refugees watching this come back talking to Simon and the project team yep we're on it spoke to the mayor you know it's just all happening people are giving it's just amazing what God is doing from within us isn't that what the church is meant to be it's meant to be a people who are on mission uh, with their God. And, and similarly, God's been speaking to us about these words of rest and family and focus. These, these, again, are similarly not words about what you do, but they're words about who you are, aren't they? They're, they're words about an internal direction that provokes an external direction, and and so as, we, as I've been thinking about that, and there's also this phrase that's been going through my mind that I heard over the summer from Bill Johnson, a, a preacher from the States, and he said, we are not focused on building a big church, we are focused on building big people. And I really—that You know when you hear these lines sometimes and they just really, some of them go on Twitter and then you forget them, but some of them, they just really stay with you. And it was one of those ones, we're not focused on building a big church, we're focused on building big people. Not that there's anything wrong, I believe in big church, I love big church, I love small church, but I love big church because I think it says something to the world around when they think the church is dead and dying and we blow open the doors and say, oh, there's a thousand plus of us, so not so dead. Uh, <laughs> there's something about it that communicates something, but, but. Fundamentally, that can't be our primary goal. Our primary goal has to be, doesn't it, to build big people. Uh, and before you think, yay, McDonald's, here I come after church. I'm not totally sure it's that kind of large we're talking about, although that's fine. I think it's something about a bigness on the inside that changes the world around. It's, it's, it's our call, isn't it, to build people who change the world. That's, we, we bring them like, like Naomi. I mean, that, you, you are our vision. <laughs> You are a vision. Has anyone ever told you that before? <laughs> you are a vision, isn't she? Someone who is far from God, encounters, encounters someone who knows a little bit more than she does about God, comes along, gives her life to Christ, begins a relationship, baptizes, and off she goes. To do the same again. Building big people. And so that's, that's, what, I'm, that's what I'm about. Any, any of you on that journey? <laughs> let's, let's do that, shall we? <laughs> let's do that. I could sit down at this point, but I won't, because there are some things that hold us back, aren't there? There are some things that stop us being the big people that God wants us to be, that he has designed us and made us to be. And I, I told the, 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 the dream that I had uh, over the summer, um, last time I spoke, but I'll remind you for those who, who weren't here, uh, the dream I had was I was in the, in the shower, and I was holding the shower head, and there was nothing coming out of it. And so as I was shaking this thing, nothing, I thought, I'm going to have to take it, take it apart. So I took the, I'm an engineer by trade. So I took the thing apart, and I took the thing apart, and, I, and as I pulled it apart, I noticed it was filled with hair. My daughter, Kaya's hair, by the way, she, she's not taking it personally, and I've asked her permission to share this story. Uh, it was because hair obviously normally goes down the plug hole, but this was in the shower head. So I pulled all the hair out and put the back on, and pff, there it goes, it's off again. And... Uh, As I had that dream, woke up, I knew immediately what what God was saying. He was saying that the flow of life, the flow of power that I want out of your life is somehow blocked by what's in here. That's the the head of the shower. The the hair represents thinking. It's something about this that's got to to shift. And, you know, if we're to be those big people, we have to get our thinking straight. This series that we're doing on Life on the Frontline is about, the the take I've got on it at the moment is, is about that. You know Graham Cook, one of the the speaker, a British speaker who lives in the states. He said this: Every action begins with the thought that produced it. I thought it's very profound, actually, because every I mean, I move my hand in the small. I move my hand. What happened before I move my hand? I thought about moving my hand. People who change society, people who transform a society, what happens? Well, first they start thinking about changing a society. You know, I've been to, to uh, the house not far from here where you can go into the room where the Clapham sect met. And it's only a small room, 12 of them met. And what did they do? They thought about a world that had no slavery anymore. And all the rest of the world, the econ- economics of the world, was driving towards slavery. There was no way out. So they gathered in a room and they thought. And they prayed and they thought some more. And what happened? Sooner or later, society lined up with their thinking. <laughs> Every action comes from the thought that produced it. And last time we looked at thinking differently about trials, but I want to think about another key area for us. And I'll illustrate it like this. You're, you're a mum, you're at home, you're doing the laundry. I do the laundry as well sometimes, I'll have you know. Uh, you're doing the laundry at home, and this thought comes into your head, am I going to be doing this forever? Is this, is this it? Is this where it all goes? Is this what it's all about? You're a, you're a teenager. You're sitting, perhaps watching your dad, your brother do something, and this thought comes in, I'm never going to be as good as them. I'm never going to be like them in some way. You compare yourself when you come up short. You're a guy in your 40s. You have the thought for the first time, perhaps there's less time ahead than there is behind. Never had that thought before. It comes to you, and then you think, what's it all about? Am I ever going to have any significance? or oh, this would be all for all of us you're sitting with a group of friends standing with a group of friends playing a game with a group of friends and the thought comes to you these aren't really your friends these aren't your friends i'd stop hanging out with these guys anyone ever have thoughts like that Is it just just one or two of you <laughs> you know i was on this over the summer i was uh, on my own a lot and the thought came to me, undiagnosed, no one's known what's wrong with me. And the thought came, this is probably liver cancer. That's why they can't work it out. It's liver cancer, early stages. You might not make it to the end of the year. I was sitting with my son at breakfast the other day. As we talk every, every day, we try when we can to do, talk about the Bible, do a little story. And we talk about it. And as we were talking, one of the boys said, maybe I'm not even a Christian. You know, we have these thoughts, don't we? And what are they about? They're all about hope. That's what they're about. They are about hope. Hope is your internal picture of the future. That's what it is. Every one of us has hopes. Many, many different hopes. Hope is your internal picture of the future, and it is a major area of a battle, of the battle in the mind. Because if the enemy can take your hope out, he can take your heart out. <laughs> And if he can take your heart out, you are as good as dead. How does he get people to commit suicide? How does he get people to commit suicide? He gets them to commit suicide by thinking that their internal view of the future becomes this it is hopeless. If he takes your heart out, if he takes your hope out, he takes your heart out. If he takes your heart out, you might be walking and breathing and moving around, but what are you? You are as good as dead. You are as good as dead because you are not really living anymore because you have no hope. It's such a key area of the battle for the mind. The enemy will attack this picture. And often, in our thinking, often that's what stops us being the big people that God's made us to be is what? It's our thinking in this area of hope, our vision for the future. This is life at the front line. There is some good news coming for those of you who are feeling slightly depressed at this point. Our Father has an answer. Amen? (laughs) Ephesians 3, verse 20. Let's read this together. How do we win the battle for hope? Whether you're a teen, whether you're a guy in your 40s, whether you're a mum, whether you've just had one of these thoughts, how do we win the battle for hope? It's right here. Ephesians 3, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. It's like taking a warm shower, isn't it? Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. The first thing, a few points, the first thing is we have to learn to think super abundantly. We have to learn to think super abundantly. What do I mean? What does Paul say? He says he is able because nothing is impossible for him. He is the God who is able. Get happy at any point. He is able to do. He's able to do because he's not the passive God. He's not the dead God. He's not the disinterested God. He's the God who is working. He is able to do what we ask because he's the God of the universe, but he cares what you ask. He cares what you ask. He's able to do what we ask or think. Some versions say or imagine because he's not just interested in what we ask, sometimes he even answers the prayers that we haven't even vocalised yet. He's able to do what we ask or think. He's able to do it all and then he comes up with this phrase, far more abundantly. Far more abundantly. Now, in English we have these words that are called superlatives take you back or take you forward if you haven't studied this yet. Superlatives are words that are of the highest order, like excellent, like majestic, like awesome. Which when I was in my teens was the word, awesome. Everything was awesome. And if you run out of superlatives, what do you do? You just stuck another superlative on the front and you said, it's totally awesome. As if awesome wasn't enough, some things are more awesome than awesome and so they are totally awesome. Now the english language runs out sometimes and i noticed in a new generation i was talking to my kids a couple of years ago and one of them said oh dad this was amazing it was sick <laughs> i said i'm sorry they said it was sick I said, vomit? No, 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 it was sick. Puke? No, it was sick. It was a bag of puke? No, it was sick. What do you mean? It's a superlative. It means when English has run out, you just pick another word. I'm not saying it's a good word, but it's another word. It's a little, even that's a little out of date. It moves so fast. I use it now sometimes just to annoy my children. (laughs) Because there's nothing more uncool than a dad who's just off cool. You know what I mean? (laughs) Dad who's just slightly off cool. Dad, don't use that word. We don't use that anymore. It's the same in Greek as it is in English, where Paul Paul was writing this. He used what's called a super superlative. It doesn't even translate far more abundantly. The best translation is super abundantly. He says, if if you're going to go on this journey, guys, as believers, as children, you've got to learn to think super abundantly. In fact, he says, even if you think super abundantly, it won't be quite enough because he's he's one step ahead of you. He's even better than that, but that's the best we can do. We've got to think super abundantly. I've been meditating on that phrase this week, super abundant God. He's a super abundant father. I mean, that'll fill you up right there. Just think about that for five minutes. He's a super abundant father. In, In Eastern thought, meditation means to empty your mind, but in Christian thought, if you've not experienced this before, Christian thought, meditation means to fill your mind with one thing. Fill your mind with one thing. Fill your mind with superabundant Father just for five minutes and you'll end up very, very happy. <laughs> and then I came back to the dream and Kawan and I were chatting about the dream again and I was talking to her about superabundant thinking and, and, and I said, but the dream. And then she said, "What? Well, you, you do know what Kaya's name means, I've, it's just come to me. I'm just reminded of it. I said, I said remind me? She said, it means abundant. Yeah. Kaya, you are abundant. Sorry to embarrass you. I did get her agreement. And suddenly it made sense. The hair in the shell was about God saying, you've got to learn to think super abundantly. Children of a super abundant father have to learn to think super abundantly. It was one of those light bulb moments. If we're to be big people, if we're to fight the battle for the hope that the enemy wants to rob from our minds, we've got to learn to think super abundantly. We've got to learn to have this big picture. He comes to destroy your hope, and you meet that with super abundant thinking. He needs to meet a people who have got such a big vision of God, who does does things far more abundantly, even through trials and difficulties. He's a super abundant father. We've got to learn to think like that. Recently, Caroline and I, our family, had a huge sum of money defrauded from us. When we heard what had happened, we both burst into tears. It was one of those moments where you're like, this is a nightmare. What was stressful is now a nightmare. This is the sort of thing that happens on TV, and it's happening to us. And so as we've walked and lived through that, and many have walked and lived through through it, we did a a sum over the summer, and we realized that we had been given back twice what was taken from us in that defrauding. (laughs) to win this battle for hope we've got to realize he's a superabundant father does that mean bad things won't happen to us no but it means in the midst of him, you've got to fix your eyes on the superabundant father in the midst of him, you've got to keep the battle for hope but but the question might be what about then when when but when hope is about it's about it's threatened you know you're on the precipice when you get the report you you feel the symptoms i might have cancer when the marriage starts to break up when When you really do think, I'm about to fail these exams. What about when you're on the precipice of hope being destroyed? What about that? You know, in the the scriptures, there's this story of the king Hezekiah. It's a long story, but I'll, I'll compress it. Because Hezekiah was king over Israel when Israel was about to be overrun by the Assyrians. There were hundreds and hundreds of thousands of them, outnumbering the people of Israel 10 to 1 easily. And not only that, they had destroyed other nations, literally just like, a, a, like a, 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 a wave of evil and destruction. You can even read about it in secular um, history. A wave of destruction across the known world, wiping out nations as they went. They were unstoppable warriors. And now they're at the doors of Israel, surrounding Jerusalem. This is what it says in 1 Kings 9. The king of Assyria sent messages to Hezekiah saying, Thus so you speak to Hezekiah, king of Judah. Don't let your God, in whom you trust, deceive you by promising that Jerusalem will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Behold, you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all the lands, devoting them to destruction. Shall you be delivered? Have the gods of the nations delivered them, the nations that my father has destroyed? How do you cope when you're in that situation? When you have got hope. On a, on a knife edge, when it feels like hope is about to be ripped from you, when news has come, how do you cope? Here's four things quickly that Hezekiah does. First thing is this, bring the enemy's version into the light. Exposure and isolation. You know what the old phrase, divide and conquer? Do that with those thoughts. Some of you are thinking, "I've got, I have 50 negative thoughts an hour, 50 a minute. Divide and conquer. Bring them into the light. Separate them apart. Separate that life from his buddies because with his buddies he's strong, but bring him into the light and you will see what God will do. 1 Kings 19, Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it and he went up to the house of the Lord and spread it out before the Lord. Bring it into the light. Narrow it down even to one key thought or phrase. You know, uh, those goals this morning, I was preparing that this morning, the enemy said, you haven't even hit some of those goals, if any of them. I wouldn't, I wouldn't mention it. Just No one's going to remember. Just slide into the new year. No one will remember. You know what? Whenever he says hide something, I make it a point to bring it into the light. <laughs> Why? Why? Because I, I'm reminded of the story of the, of the 84-year-old man in a nursing home. And he's in the nursing home. His son comes in one day to visit him, and he says, uh, he says, uh, what have you been up to, Dad? And he said, well, I kissed a 23-year-old today. I kissed a 23-year-old girl. She just kissed me, and I kissed her back. And he said, Dad, I, you're 84. This is a little bit awkward. It? Have you told anyone? He said, I'm telling everyone. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling everyone. And when the enemy says to me, keep it quiet, keep it secret, I'm like, I'm telling everyone then. <laughs> Why? Because the power of the serpent is in the hiddenness. You don't often see, I saw a snake for the first time in my life in the open the other day while I was walking, first time I've ever seen one. Why? Because snakes hide. Snakes hide, but their power is broken when they're in the light. You know, for me, sometimes it's helpful to narrow it down to one key thought or phrase, to even write it down. Many of you will know my story, fear of public speaking, why? Because I often go red, blotchy, and people think there's something wrong with me or I'm dying or something. And, and, and for years, I didn't public speak because of that, and it's just, it, I got through it, kind of lived with it, got some freedom over it, but then it came back in spades recently because of the stuff we're doing on video, and I watched a video, and I was like, oh my gosh. And so, as I watched that, the enemy was like, see, I told you. And Wendy did a brilliant exercise with leaders recently, which said, I want you to write down the lie. And I was with a friend of mine who's another leader, and so I lo- wrote down the lie. It was this, when I go red, people think less of me and don't want to follow me or listen to what I say write it down. I tell you, it's a powerful process to bring it into the light, not to focus on it, but to focus the light on it, (laughs) so that the enemy is exposed for who he is. Second thing is this, challenge the enemy's version, negation. Read 1 Kings 19, this is what Hezekiah prays, God, Lord, the God of Israel, you are God and you alone are God of all the kingdoms of the earth, you made them all. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear what he says, this worthless, the the words of King Sennacherib, which he has sent to mock you. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste the nations. They have laid waste their lands, and they have cast their gods into the fire. But it was because they are not gods, but they are just the work of man's hands. They are just wood and stone and idols. That's why they were destroyed. He brings it into the light, and then what does he do? he negates the enemy's version of the, of the future. He takes his hope, his vision, the enemy's given him a vision, you're going to be destroyed, and he negates the truth that's in there. We learned this powerful story over the summer. It's again by Graham Cook, and we learned so much from, from hearing this. He was at a, a dinner party, and there was this woman there, and she was telling him about how excited she was. She'd just been given a new job. She'd, it was, it was this whole job that she'd got, and it was the job of a dream. She'd longed for it for years. They'd offered it to her, blah, 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 etc., cetera, etc., cetera. And so he said to her, Well, you must be really excited. He said, she's, she's, She said, I'm not, I'm terrified. He said, So you're terrified because you've got the job of your dream? She said, Yeah, I've got, always had this fear of failure. I'm afraid I'm, I'm going to mess it up. I'm, I'm terrified. So he said, What you're telling me is that you're terrified because of this new job. She said, Yes. He said, Well, what if you're not? And she said, What do you mean? He said, Well, what if you're not terrified? What if you are, what if you are nervous? I mean, that, you know, a little bit nervous. You're, you're, you're a little bit nervous, but you're intrigued. Maybe even you're anxious. Maybe you're anxious, but you're intrigued. that would be natural. It's a new job. You're anxious, but you're intrigued." She said, you know what? That is actually probably closer to how I think. Yeah, I, I probably am. I'm anxious, but, but I'm intrigued because yeah, it's a new adventure. It's, an, it's exciting. I'm a bit intrigued. So, so what you're telling me is that you're, you're anxious, but you're intrigued? She said, she said, yeah. He said, well, what if you're not? She said, what do you mean? He said, well, what if you're not anxious and intrigued? What if you're a little bit nervous? That would be natural. But what if you're quietly, what, what if you're excited? I mean, these guys are not idiots. They've employed you. They think you can do the job. What if you're, you're nervous, but you're excited? She, sa- she said, you know, that is actually closer to what I think. I-, I think that is how I am. And he said, so what you're telling me is that you are, you're, you're nervous, but you're actually also excited. She said, yeah, I think that is how I think. He said, okay, what if you're not? <laughs> she said, what do you mean? He said, well, what if you're not nervous and quite excited? What if? You are optimistic. You're actually quietly optimistic. You're looking forward to what God's going to do. Because it's not just about about these guys. They want you to come. But also God, the God of the universe is behind you. They don't even know that. And he's planned this and prepared this for you to get this job. What if you are quietly optimistic? She said, you know what? That is closer to how I think. (laughs) She said, I'm going to start thinking like that from now on. He said, it took 17 minutes to turn our whole mindset around. I tell you, when I heard that story, I thought, that is powerful. Now, it's not to negate all of our feelings. It's not to negate all of our situations. Sometimes there are real things we have to face and be honest with. But so often, we can break the power of the enemy's lie by just questioning what he says. What if? What if is a great, great question. A few days later, I was talking with Caroline, I was a bit down and she said what, what's wrong and I said I just I just what you know I've been sick for six weeks or eight weeks or something what the team are doing brilliantly without me what if they don't need me anymore what if what if they don't need me and there isn't really a role for me and, and this is God actually he's done all this to move me on what if that's what's going on here so she said you're a, you're a bit down I said yeah I feel a bit down about it <laughs> she said what if you're not Caroline was taking a new job. I think she, she said, oh, I'm worried this is going to be a nightmare. I'm scared this is going to be how it was before. I said, what if you're not? <laughs> the voice comes in the night, it's probably liver cancer. What if it's not? <laughs> <laughs> you know, some things, sometimes bad things do happen. I'm not negating that, but so much of the enemy's power is before the bad news even arrives. <laughs> He like wants to make the, the, you know, say you do get a diagnosis of cancer, he wants to make the six months before miserable as well. (laughs) What if it's not? What if your version of history, your version of the future isn't right? I'm believing that it isn't. But even if it is, I want to live, at least believing right now, what if it's not? It's not denial. It's fighting by negation, his power over us. Third thing is this, allow God to speak his version or remind yourself of God's version. Declaration, 1 Kings 19, then Isaiah son of Amos sent to Hezekiah, Isaiah's mate, uh, uh, Hezekiah's mate was Isaiah the prophet, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, your prayer to me about Sennacherib of, is- of Assyria I have heard, this is what I'm saying about him, who have you mocked and reviled, Sennacherib, against who have you raised your voice and lifted your eyes to the heights, against the Holy One of Israel? Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the, concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into this city, he shall not shoot an arrow there, he shall not come before it with a shield or cast up a siege mound against it. By the way that he came, by the same way he shall return, for I will defend this city and I will save it. Write down what God says about your situation. Write down his words under the lie. You brought the lie into the light, not to focus on it, but to focus the light on it. Now write the lie, write the truth underneath it. And then lastly, perseverance. Persevere until you beat the enemy's version into submission. It's called pummeling. <laughs> For those of you who have watched the movie, I don't recommend it. This is the Christian version of Fight Club. <laughs> Take that lie and just keep pounding it with the truth of what God says. This was actually the second time that Hezekiah went through this process, this scary moment. He just kept going at it again and again. Get some friends to help you like he did. I was talking with one of my boys as I said. He said, maybe, maybe I'm not a Christian. I said, well, why would you think that? He said, well, I don't, I'm not sure I've been, I'm good enough or that I'll ever be good enough to be a Christian. So I took him through a little version of this process. I said, well, what, what does God say about it? And together we remembered a verse that says this you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I said, so what do you have to do to be good enough to be a Christian? He says, you have to believe. I said, yes. And do you believe? He said, I do believe. I said, so what are you? He said, I'm a Christian. (laughs) What if I'm not a Christian? (laughs) Well, what if you are? (laughs) What if you've done all that God has required of you, which is to believe in Christ? I love the end of Hezekiah's story. And that night the angel of the Lord went down and slaughtered the Assyrians. And when the people arose early in the morning, they were all dead. Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went home and lived in Nineveh as he was worshipping in the house of his god, Nisroch. His son struck him down with a sword and he escaped into the land. And then they escaped into the land of Ararat. Four things that we can do to keep fighting the fight hope for things that keep the hope alive but you might say just as we finish this what about if hope really has been lost what about if I feared that I was going to have a diagnosis of cancer and then I get that diagnosis what about if I feared that I was going to get divorced and then it happens what about if I feared that I thought uh, a loved one died or I did fail the exam or what happens when hope is lost how does thinking super abundantly. Children of a super abundant father have to think super abundantly. But how does that help then? And I would say this. Firstly, is hope ever really truly lost? Because firstly, our our hope is eternal. But even in this life, while we're still breathing, it's not the end of the story, is it? It's not the end of the story. Over the summer, we as a family met two boys. One of them had one leg. And man alive, he was fast, wasn't he, Ethan? Ethan had to run to keep up with him, because <laughs> on his crutches, he was like down the stairs, up the stairs, he was like lightning. He had one leg. Over the summer, we met another boy, a boy called Freddy. And Freddy, when we met him, was in his wetsuit, and you immediately noticed he, he only had one arm, amputated at the arm, never found out why. But man alive, that kid had good balance. Climbing over the rocks, he was, his balance was phenomenal. I, w- I was in the in the, um, the sea with Caleb, him, and me, and we were playing catch with a tennis ball, wet tennis ball we were throwing. And, and he obviously only had one hand, and we were throwing, and he was dropping it. I thought, well, this is not fair. Caleb and I are using both hands. So I said, new rule, only allowed to use one hand. He holds up his stump. I've only got one. <laughs> I said, that's right, that's why I made the new rule. He said, cool. <laughs> so we carried on. He was so secure, he had no sense of embarrassment. Caroline was challenging him, and, and he said, I'm the only one in my school with this. She said, is that a good thing or a bad thing? He said, I decided it was going to be a good thing. I decided it was going to be a good thing. To so the enemy, he's not, not a believer as far as we know, but the enemy had painted him a picture of what life was going to be like with one arm. And he said, I, I reject that picture. i decided this is going to be good. He went on to tell how he was the fastest swimmer in his school with one arm. Quite incredible. I was meditating on this, saying, God, what are you saying? I I mean, our kids have met lots of kids on holiday, but in a short space of a period, we met two missing limbs. What are you saying? And immediately this phrase came into my mind, overcoming spirit. Overcoming spirit. Think about the most inspiring people you know. I bet you this, I bet you they're not the glossy people on the front of magazines. I bet you they're the ones who've got scars, who've got wounds, who've been in the battle. And what inspires you about them? Is it because they look glossy and perfect? No, it's because they have overcome in their spirits. That's, that's what inspires us about others. Well, could it be that that is what God wants to use in your life to inspire others? The definition of big people, isn't it? They are inspiring. Big people are inspiring. God is calling us to be big people who change the world. And we're to live with this level of inspiration. You've had cancer, you've been divorced, you've lost your job, your kids walked away from God, your parents are divorced, you've got bad grades, you've lost something, you don't think your friends like you, they've told you they don't like you. You don't look like the glossy magazine cover photo anymore. And the enemy says, You're finished. You're washed up, it's over, no one's gonna take you seriously. You've got a stump where your arm used to be. What do you do? You cover your stump, you hide it in shame, put it away, or do you say, I'm unique? No one in my school's got an arm like no arm like this. I decided it was gonna be a good thing. I decided that I follow a super abundant father and I'm learning as his kid to think super abundantly and I'm going to follow Jesus the best I can with one arm. And you know what? It is going to be to his glory (laughs) because when he shows himself strong in my weakness, then others will know that it was not me but it was the power of Christ in me, the hope of glory. Ephesians 3.20, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to his power at work in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. In your weakness, I am strong. So we can say this, well I've got breath in me, and while this story is not over, I'm going to live for the glory of Christ. And I'm not going to be ashamed of my one arm. In fact, I'm going to consider it a strength that Christ can even take this seeming weakness, this seeming failure, this seeming disaster, and turn it around for his glory. Do we want to go through a massive situation where we're defrauded of money? No. But now looking back, I've got a story to tell (laughs) of my weakness and his strength. We have a story to share. Christ came. To seek and save the lost. That includes even those who've lost hope. It is never hopeless because Christ is alive and on the throne. There is always hope. There is always hope. Children of a superabundant father have to learn to think superabundantly. This is superabundant thinking. Imagine a people who live like this. And call each other up like this. And are able to gently, not not horribly, but gently, when we report the enemy's version of events to each other, say, but what if it doesn't work out like that? What if, it, what if it doesn't? What if you're not like that? We're able to help one another to think super abundantly because of his goodness. This is a church of big people, and this is a church that will change the world. And that's what God's calling us to be. Amen? Amen. 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 Thank you, Father, thank you, Father.